children can be dismissed. They haven't already been dismissed. Um, this is an exciting morning. We get to baptize three people this morning. That's an encouraging thing. We have never done a baptism during the service. Uh, and you're like, well, what do you mean? What have you done before? Well, the first time we, we baptized uh, Mr. Zeke in the back there, and we were at United, St. James United Methodist Church, and we did it in their gym after the service. And uh, they were Methodists, and so they thought we were doing something quite weird as they walked by and seen this, this tub. Uh, and then we've done several. We've done some in the basement here. We did one outside during the summer, but now we need to do one inside during the actual service. So we're pretty excited about that. And uh, just an amazing opportunity. And, and the reason why we did was say that I get kind of giddy, because really there's nothing that may identifies us so, uh, so uh, distinctly as Baptist the Nets. I mean, think about it. Uh, here at St. Mark's, they just have this little water pour, and they just dip it, right? It's pretty easy, right? You just put the water in the bucket and the little tub, and you just leave it there, and then when someone needs to be baptized, you just sprinkle them whenever you want. With us, we had to drag this trough up here. We had to fill it up with water. Then we had to figure out a way to heat it. And you could go, well, why don't you just do that? But this is the way the Bible tells us to do it. And that's a cool thing. I mean, it takes a lot of work. And you're like, why would you not just do something simple? But this is how God has ordained it. This is how God has instructed us to baptize people who have come to know Jesus Christ. And it publicly identifies them as followers of Christ Jesus. And we get to celebrate that. And that's why it's exciting. Yeah. And why I get giddy. Um, nothing gets a Baptist preacher or pastor more giddy than baptisms. Um, so I want to start off and introduce something that may come off a bit odd coming from, would they even be talked about in church, especially, and for me to actually use it in a sermon. Um, and I titled this sermon, The Kingdom of BS. And, um, and I'm not going to use the actual word, but there is a sense that language is an important thing, right? Language is so significant. Do you know, that's what makes us human, what makes us, identifies us different than other species on this planet is how we communicate. Other animals can communicate, right? They can talk. But the way humans communicate, we don't just use language. We don't just use words. But we even use words in the pitch that we use them, right? We can say a word. We can say a sentence. And we can use a certain tone in that sentence. And it means something different than a different tone, right? And there's certain words in the English language, when used, really bring a lot of emphasis. And what I'm talking about is cussing. When you use a word, you use a cuss word, uh, there's a sense where, it's, and most, uh, most times it's inappropriate, right? We would identify cuss words as, or bad words as something you shouldn't use in, in common conversation. Obviously, you shouldn't use around children. There are words that we would tell children are naughty words or bad words. But you will honestly, if you're all honest with yourselves, there are certain words, when they're used at the right particular moment, really get across what we're trying to say, right? And the Bible is actually uses words that we would probably say would be a little bit uncomfortable. There's that passage that Paul in Philippians, Philippians 3, where he basically says the things that he has accomplished are, are rubbish. That word, that word rubbish or garbage is a word that's a subtle word, right? And that's been subtle out in the English language. In the Greek language, it would have been referred to as somewhat of a cuss word. It was a word that emphasized something quite strongly, with very strong language, what he, can, what he thought about his accomplishments. It was 
garbage. It was whatever word you want to insert that really uh, helps us understand with very strong, bold language what Paul considered his works. And when using these terms and using this language, we really do get across quite effectively what we're trying to say, what we're trying to communicate. And I think Jesus, a lot of times, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, is very powerful and very effective with his language in trying to communicate a truth. Even in this passage, right, what we're reading this morning, this, this language of good fruit and bad fruit, good tree and bad tree, there's very, he's, he's quite distinctive in saying that if you produce bad fruit, you are a bad tree. So going to present a little bit of context here, Jesus has been teaching his disciples. Uh, he calls out his disciples in, uh, in, in, in Luke 6, verse 12. He, he calls out, he prays all night, he's on the mountain, he comes down from the mountain, and he calls out his 12 disciples. And then he begins to teach these disciples. He begins to tell them the things about his kingdom. And because, again, like I said last week, the cross is in view. He realizes he's on the tail end of his ministry. He's moving to the cross. He's moving towards his death. He's moving towards his resurrection. He's moving towards his ascension. That he will be leaving them and sending the Holy Spirit, the helper, uh, to guide them into all truth. But he needed to teach them about his kingdom. Because remember, Jesus came to preach about the kingdom. He came to call out and declare the coming of the kingdom of God. And so he starts to teach them in the Sermon on the Mount the values, the identity, and um, the actions of the kingdom. And so he, he gets in this latter part, and he starts to talk about the identity of the kingdom. Starting off here in verse 45, he talks about these good trees and bad trees. And what these are is, again, going back to what I preached on last week about the says, judge not and condemn not. He's then saying you have to discern those who you are going to follow. You have to discern those who are not hypocrites. He says in verse 42, beware of hypocrites. Beware of those who are pretenders. Beware of those who are actors, those who wear masks. This picture shows. Beware of these folks who are actually leading the blind. They're going to fall in the pit. Don't follow these people. So how do you discern who are hypocrites? And he starts in verse 43. Bad trees produce bad fruit. So how do we discern who is authentic? How do we discern who is actually truthful? How do we discern those who are not hypocrites, who actually are authentic? So point number one is the origin story. The origin story. And everyone who likes Marvel movies or comic book movies, they love the origin story, right? They, they want to hear, they want to see how this all started. How did Batman become, how did Bruce Wayne become Batman? You know, if you've seen the Batman movies, you know that his parents were, were killed, right? They were murdered by mobsters, and, and that kind of led him down a path which led him to want justice and he saw all the evil and injustice in his city of Gotham, and he wants to bring justice because of the injustice that was received because of his parents' death, right? This is the origin story. And there's constant, uh, constant characters in, in movies and literature to get these origin stories. Where did it all start? Where did it all begin? And we think about our own story, right, as human beings, the origin story of us all. We all start 
as bad trees. Genesis 3 through uh, chapter 6 shows us that when Adam fell and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, we see Cain killing his brother Abel. We see in, in Genesis chapter 6 that evil and wickedness was covering over the earth and God that God judged the earth because of its wickedness and that wickedness had spread across the earth. Even in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, we see Paul identifying Adam because of Adam's sin Sin entered the world, and sin went to all men, and death then went to all men. And so sin is a curse that touches us all. So we all are bad trees. Romans 3, 9 through 20, and verse 23 talks about sin, that all are unrighteous. There are no good. There are none that are good. There are none that worship God the proper way. Romans 3, 23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And all is really important here. There's no exceptions to an all. And all includes everyone. It's a universal term. It means the whole, everyone, is sinful and unfall and short of the glory of God. Even Jeremiah 17, 9 talks about the deceitfulness of the heart, that the heart is deceitful. Another I'm going to use a lot of passages here, but one of the most interesting and probably the darkest passage in the Bible is Judges 19, 22 through 30. I don't know if you remember this story, but there's a story of a man who had a concubine, a mistress, and he, he put her outside and she was, she was raped several times by the men of Israel. And because of this happening, he was so angry, she was actually died, and he cut her in 12 different pieces and sent it to the 12 tribes of Israel. Like, this is actually in the Bible. You actually kind of see the evilness and just the wickedness of man in that particular chapter. It wasn't that much longer before then that Joshua had conquered the land of Israel, and that Israel had been distributed in 12 different tribes, different lands. And then several years later, this is where they are. People are getting, a woman's getting raped and killed, and then they're separating their pieces into 12. I mean, this is something you would see in a, in a horror movie, and this is yet in the Bible. We are all bad trees. Even Paul, uh, David says in Psalm 51, 5, that he was born into sin. He was conceived in sin, he says. Jesus Christ is the only good tree. And so when Jesus is talking about bad trees and good trees here, everyone is bad tree except Christ Jesus himself. He's the only good tree. In Genesis 3.15, it says that the one who will come shall bruise the serpent's head. So there's exception. There's one to come who will bring redemption. There's one who will come that will bring a victory over what happened in the garden. In Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6, the passage that we read during Christmas, his name shall be called Mighty God. So this one is coming. He's going to be different. He's going to be different than all others. Isaiah 53, 9, he had done no violence and there was no deceit. No deceit in his mouth. While Jeremiah refers to all humans as having a heart that is deceitful. One will come, this one will come who will have no deceit in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he knew no sin. John 1, 5, the darkness has not overcome the word of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the exception to the all. Christ Jesus is the only good tree amongst a world full of bad trees. Even in John 19.6, uh, Pilate says, I can find no guilt in him. 
Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. He's not a breaker of the law. He's a fulfiller, fulfiller of the law. All are equal in worth and deserving of judgment from God. We're all lawbreakers. There's no exception. There's no person in this particular room or in this city or in this country that is an exception to this uh, truth that we're all lawbreakers. Let me just present an example. Speeding. Let's be honest. If you drive, you go over the speed limit, right? I go over the speed limit. Even if you go one mile per hour over the speed limit, technically, you're a lawbreaker, right? Even though you haven't been caught, and most likely you probably won't be stopped with a cop, right? Most likely. But technically, you break the speed limits. Judgment may not come, but we are guilty nonetheless. We are qualified or deserving of judgment, right? If you went five over the speed limit and the cop stopped you, he has the right to give you a ticket, right? Because you went over the speed limit. You may argue, but it's only five over. What's the big deal? And you, I mean, maybe he said, okay, that's fine. Well, if I argue, here's a warning. But so you qualify for judgment. And so we can't say that somehow we're good enough or worthy enough to be considered a good tree or equal to Christ. We have to stop building ourselves up with deception that you're good in and of yourself. The Bible, God's authoritative word, disagrees with your evaluation of yourself. If you believe that you're good enough in your own good works, you're actually disagreeing with God's word. Because he says that all are sinful, all are unrighteous, there are none that are good. The sinfulness is in all of our hearts. What you think and believe about God is dependent on what you think about his word. If you think his word is not authoritative, if you think his word is not uh, worth believing or uh, following, that means that's what you think about God. So if you think God's word is authoritative and you don't disagree with it, you want to obey it, then what does God say about us? And God says that we are sinful and none of us are righteous. You know, um, God's word has so much authority, right? It, it's kind of like my mother in my life. My mother has a lot of authority. Like you know, when I brought Lisa, who's now my wife, to my mom to meet my mother for the first time, I really cared about her opinion, right? I mean, if she goes, if she told me, you know, Matt, honestly, I didn't think Lisa was very good for you. I don't think she speaks well. I don't think she's very respectful. I would have, that would have been very powerful. That would have been very authoritative in my life. It's not like I need a second opinion, right? There's a sufficiency and authority to God's word. And so there's a, a power play here, right? There's a power for, there's a, there's a play for power, and that power is, is God the authoritative person in my life, or am I the authoritative person in my life? That's a power play. And God is all-powerful and full of wisdom and knowledge, and that's not a play that I would fight. We have to kind of stop BSing ourselves with the belief that you're good, and that God is cool with that. That you're somehow God is good with your, your kind of fake and, and pretending holiness when you actually you do the opposite and you do not respect or trust God and you don't think God's word has authority in your life. You are a bad tree that produces bad fruits. Let me explain why you are this. You have to check the roots to see why a tree is bad. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruits. A bad tree is bad because it has insufficient roots. There's a, there's a, um, 
Um, my my father-in-law is a tree farmer. That doesn't mean he actually sells Christmas trees. He sells uh, lumber. Uh, he has about uh, 150, 200 acres in Tennessee. And uh, so he, I, I can ask him a question about anything to do with trees, and he will have a very speedy answer because this is something he has a lot of passion for, he has a lot of uh, knowledge about. And I was reading about why do trees produce bad leaves or, or smaller leaves? And there's a, a root system um, called girdling roots, which actually circle the tree. It chokes the tree. It actually will circle around the tree and put a lot of pressure on the bark. And when it does that, it produces a tree whose leaves are smaller than typical, or the color is more faint. It would be like a tree during the autumn time when years pass, it would be this beautiful yellow or beautiful orange or beautiful red. But then suddenly this year, it's a little bit more faint, so it's a little bit smaller. You go, why is that tree in my yard, the leaves are smaller and faint? It's maybe because its root system is affecting it in a significant way. And how do you develop these destructive root systems? Because that's what's going on here. Why is a tree bad? Why is it producing bad fruit? Its roots are ineffective. Its roots are bad. A good tree is rooted in Christ alone. Colossians 2, uh, verse 23 through 11, is a very significant passage talking about uh, the, the, the issues of, of our lives being rooted in the wrong thing. So Colossians 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ, the elementary principles of the world, why is it with you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use. In accordance with the commandments and the teachings of men, these are matters which have to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of two values, are of no value against fleshly indulgences. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, which Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ in our life is revealed, that you also will be revealed with him in glory. The issue here is that if we root our lives in the elementary things of this world, if we root our lives in the things of this world, if we root our lives in aestheticism or these false religions or these self-made religions or this appearance of wisdom, these are all bad roots. And the good roots are things that are rooted in Christ, things that are that are are, are rooted in the things from above, things that are that are rooted in the things of Christ Jesus. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. So if your root system is Christ Jesus, it will produce good fruits. Because, again, a good tree is rooted in Christ alone. Ephesians 1.3. In Christ are all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And Ephesians 2.4-10, right? To be a good workmanship, to be one who God has created to be a good workmanship, you have to be in Christ. In Christ is where you are risen alive, where there's mercy and grace. How do I know that my root system is good or bad? Well, you know it by your fruits. But what causes fruit to grow? What exposes fruit? Well, heat, the sun. The third point is the weather. So what produces fruit? We have 
root system will create bad trees or good fruit or good trees. But then what actually produces the fruit? How do fruit actually get produced? And we have to think about the sun. We think of that system and how the sun and sunlight brings fruit. So we're thinking about the weather. And weather, when we think about circumstances in our lives, circumstances and situations in our life produce fruits. We think about Israel. They were in the wilderness, right? When they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they were tons of opportunities for them to complain and to grumble, right? They complained about the menu, right? They were mad about the manna. They were tired of eating manna, right? And they wanted meat, so they're complaining and grumbling. They, they've complained because of the trial, right? They, go, they see the, the spies go into the land, and they come back and say, there's giants in the land. There's no way we can, we can conquer this land. There's no way we can receive. We should just go back to Egypt, right? Oh, so it's going to be a little difficult, right? You're going to maybe have to work for it. It's not just, you can't just walk into it. It's going to be just handed to you. You have to trust in God. So there's a trial. They grumble and they complain. We think about Numbers uh, chapter 20 when they didn't have any water. So they complained and grumbled about that. We don't have any water. We're going to die out here. We should just all go back to Egypt. That's circumstances. And the wilderness is a very great illustration of our life on earth today, right? That we don't feel like we're in the promised land. We don't feel like we're in this land flowing with milk and honey. We feel like we all struggle with circumstances and situations, and some uh, greater than others. And so in the circumstances, in the situations of your life, where do you question God's goodness, grace, and love? Because in the wilderness for Israel, that's where they, they question his goodness and his grace and his love. So we think about our fruit in our lives when circumstances and situations, either they be good or horrible, will then show what our root system is rooted in. So if we're rooted in Christ... How do we respond to different, different situations? When trials enter our life, um, God, do we rely on God's grace to produce fruit in our lives? So we, how we know this is if we are uh, in certain situations and circumstances, if we are humble, if we are thankful, if we give God worship and honor, that's a good, uh, that's a good tell that we are rooted in Christ. If we complain, if we grumble, if we get angry, if we, uh, get sh we, uh, we tend to be uh, one who uh, is blaming other people for our problem, it's a good tell that you're one who's not rooted in Christ and rooted in other things. So what is this heat? Let me present some situations or circumstances, some examples. Problems in relationships, right? We all have had problems in relationships, either that be with our children or with maybe our wives or our husbands or maybe at work. How do you respond when there's problems in, in relationships? What about disappointments in your marriage? What if your spouse in a particular, a particular season of their life are failing you constantly? How do you respond to that disappointment? What about problems in your church or problems with your health? What about stresses as parents? What about financial stresses? What about the temptations of money and wealth and materials? How do you respond to these things, these certain situations? We think about God's plan for our lives in these certain situations. God is simply taking you where you do not want to go to producing you what you could not achieve on your own. So sometimes we want to blame God for the situation or the circumstances of the sin, not realizing that God may have put you in that circumstance or that situation because he wants to produce certain fruits in your life. 
Maybe he wants to produce humility in your life. That's why he has you in that circumstance. Maybe he wants to produce uh, uh, thankfulness or patience or grace. That's why he has you. Remember, think about circumstances as something that God is needing you to go through for your own sake. That's the whole point of this. And usually we're not constantly, we're constantly complaining. We're constantly exposing what our true heart is. It shows us we're actually rooted in that maybe that we're not rooted in Christ at all. So God's plan is to grow you in maturity and uses circumstances to do so. What fruit is produced in circumstances? And those fruits are either grapes or thorns. So Jesus said, either you produce grapes or thorns. And thorns, just to give you some examples, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, 17-32, but he talks about the Gentile, or one who is not in God, or not a person of God, their tendency is to produce, in circumstances, the fertility of their thinking. Maybe they think of worthless things. They put their mind towards worthless things. They have the wrong desires. They lie. They're angry. They steal. They use unwholesome talk. They fight. They slander. They use, have an unforgiving spirit. These are all thorns. These are all circumstances, and then our response to those circumstances. We respond to circumstances when we are not rooted in Christ Jesus. So how are you responding sinfully, right? That is a tale of thorns in your life. Where have you given into anger or envy? Where have you blamed other people for your problems? Are you dealing with your feelings by doing unhealthy things like too much television, too much eating, too much spending, too much working, too much escaping your problems? Trying to escape your circumstance because what you truly crave is you want a certain circumstance or, or situation that gives you comfort, ease, drama-free life, and you want to avoid the pressure. But again, God uses circumstances that cause you discomfort, that cause you this, uh, that brings drama in your life, that's a pressure or stressful to produce the fruit in the life that God wants. So he wants to produce grapes in your life. He wants, going back to Ephesians 4, 17 through 32, if you're in Christ, if you know Christ, he, he, you're taught in him, truth is in him, there's a new set of desires, you start speaking truth, you're angry without sinning, you're a giver of grace through the lifestyle of giving, you're kind, you're compassionate, you're forgiving in your relationships. This is a true sign of God's presence in your life. Even when Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 and 6, he talks about human relationships, right? He talks about marriage relationships, work-based relationships, and he's talking about how Christians should respond in these circumstances if they're rooted in Jesus Christ. These are the ways you are to love your wife or love your husband or love your employer or love your employees. When we think about this is God's fruit that's being produced in your life when you're rooted in Christ. How do you act in moments of pain and grief? How do you act? Do you act forsaking commitments? Do you break relationships? Do you doubt God? May you hurt, do you hurt other people? Do you, do you, these are the things that you naturally do in certain situations of stress and pain and grief and suffering. Do you forsake all commitments, break relationships, doubt God? Or do you run to God? Do you seek comfort in the word of God? Do you run to the body of Christ, the church? Or do you run away from the church? I can't go to church. I can't be in church. 
my life's not right. I, circumstances aren't good. That's a tale that you're producing thorns in your life, that your roots are bad and your root is not in Christ Jesus. Do you minister to other people? So these are the fruits that are produced with either good or bad roots. How do you produce good fruits? How do you produce them? This is the last point. Spiritual industry. The only way to produce good fruits is to be united in the one who's the only good tree. Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. I no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The only way to produce good fruit, the only way to be a good tree, the only way to be rooted in Christ is to actually be in Christ. That your identity is in Christ. That you've been made alive in Christ. It even says in Romans 8, 9 through 10, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives inside of you if you are in Christ. There's an allegation, there's a change. You become a new person in Christ, a new ruler in your life. Christ Jesus is now the ruler of your life, not yourself, not your circumstances, but Christ. Our true potential in our life is rooted in Christ. It says that, and not only that I live, that Christ lives in me by faith in the flesh. I live by faith in Christ. And even think about not only are we in Christ, but it also creates a continual trusting of faith and repentance that we are ones who see, seeing who we are in Christ Jesus, that we're justified from our sins because of Christ. We've been adopted into the, as a child of God, into the family of God because of Christ. Then we're turning from our sins as the prodigal son does. You know, what does he do? He's aware of his sin. He wakes up to his sin, he owns his sin, and he confesses his sin. And what does the father do in the prodigal son? He embraces him and full of love and compassion for his son. And that's the same reaction we get as children of God when we repent of our sins. And we trust in the grateful provisions of God. We trust his word. We understand the necessity of Scripture. We understand the sufficiency of Scripture. That to be the, a Christian and to live a successful Christian life is to be one who sees the Word of God as a necessary in your life and sufficient for all your needs. You think about the community of believers where you get your fellowship and your counsel and your prayer and your encouragement. These are all God's provision. Think of the Lord's Supper as well, which we're going to do in a few moments. It's God's we examine ourselves every Sunday before we take the bread and drink the cup. We examine our hearts. We confess our sins. We confess those sins to other people. We trust in Christ and we eat. And we trust in Christ and drink. That he has forgiven us of our sins and we have been redeemed of all our sins. What a great example. What a great provision of God to remember who we are in Christ. So what's the, the big point here? Coming to an end. We've got to stop the BS. As a kid, we used to play the game BS. Anyone ever played the game BS? Uh, which is a pretty, like, I don't know, I wasn't a big fan of it, right? But the object of the game is you get all these cards, and, you, and your object of the game is to get rid of all your cards, right? And, some, and so you, you're, you've got to go through the deck, 
And when your turn, you have to put down, say you have to put down a five. If you don't have any five, you have to lie about it, right? I have one five. You put the card over, and they have to call BS and say, uh-uh, that's not right, you're lying. And then you have to show them the card. And if you're lying, you get all the cards in the pile, right? We've got to stop with the whole BS of, of wearing masks into the community of believers and saying we're good and saying we're Christians when our lives say something totally different. It makes you a hypocrite. It makes you a pretender. It makes you an actor. It doesn't make you a faithful follower of Christ. You have to trust the provisions of God. And if you trust in Christ, if you're rooted in Christ, then your faith will not be a faith without works. Your faith, because you are rooted in Christ, because you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you will produce good fruit because you're in Christ. Your faith will be expressing itself through love. If you don't love people, if you are not one who, who is in this constant battle with, with be, trying to be obedient to God's word, but maybe you fail. Maybe there's times in certain circumstances where you respond in a sinful way, but you're quickly to repent. You're quick to acknowledge and, and, and ask for forgiveness and be um, to be reconciled with God and with others. If your tendency is just to blame other people all the time, your tendency is to respond always, well, that's their problem, not my problem. It's probably a good tale that you've never been rooted in Christ Jesus at all. And that's why this passage is so offensive. Because it basically says is that if I don't produce good fruit, I'm not a good tree. And you want to think of yourself as a good tree, but if you're not in Christ, you are not a good tree. You are a bad tree. And evilness is in your heart. And that is where your treasure is. And you're not one who has the treasure of good that Paul Jesus talks about here. So stop with the BS. Stop with the pretending. Stop with the hypocrisy. Be authentic. If you're one who has, who has been far from God, if you have been one who's, who's never braced the church, if you're one who has never prayed and never opened your word, the Bible, but yet you consider yourself a Christian, now is the time to be authentic, to reveal who you truly are. And if you are the bad tree that the Bible expresses, now is the time to rely and trust in Christ Jesus, the good tree. In Christ, you can produce good fruit. Let's pray.